You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. I'm taking a little bit of a detour. I know Pastor Rick left us in Romans 8, and I started to go in that direction. I really did, but I believe the Spirit compelled me to move into a section of the Bible. Uh, We're going to be in Psalm 13, because that's where I was in my personal life. I was doing some studying, and basically, it's I've titled it, Is God Paying Attention? And now and again, it seems like, you know, there's just stuff going on. I'm all, God, are, are you listening? Are you paying attention? What's going on here? So actually, I could have done Romans 8. I felt a little disingenuous. So I hope it was the Lord showing me and, and, and not just indigestion or something, but I believe that we're all going to walk away a little better than we walked in. So if you have a Bible, open up to Psalm 13. It's a Psalm of David, and I'll open us in prayer. Lord, I'm grateful that you meet us exactly where we're at. Lord, you're not a second too late. You're not a second too early, and you give us exactly what we need, even though sometimes, Lord, we do not know what we need. And that's been my experience this last week, Lord, So just minister to us, Lord. I pray you would speak through your servant. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, again, I mentioned that this was more for my my own edification. I did this study uh, more than a a congregational uh, teaching. But as cathartic as Psalm 13 was to me, I have to believe that all of us go through these times and maybe even some of us right now. In fact, I know some of us are right now. Um... Have you ever had those times you just felt like your prayers were not being heard or there's an extended period of time in which maybe a critical situation is going on and you're like, God, what are you doing? I know for the last bit here, at least to some degree, the last year or so, I mean, politically, socially, economically, I find myself in disbelief. Like, honestly, I, I, I try not to watch the news too much anymore. It's like common sense. Where did you go? God, wait, you're a God of truth. You're a God of common sense. But I don't see it playing out. It's like, God, don't you see what's happening? Aren't you going to answer? Would you answer my prayer? And I, you know, I, I won't name names, but I can look out right now. And there's members in our congregation right now. that are going through it. I mean, going through it and continue to go through a hardship. And that's why I think the Lord did guide me to stay in Psalm 13. I think that uh, for a lot of it, it's very easy. And I think it's natural to say like David, how long, Lord, how long? However, when we look at this Psalm, Psalm 13, I want you to pay attention to the trajectory. Watch what happens. It's so real, but I think it's so good. We'll see how David navigated through this incredibly low point in his life. Let me do this. Let me read it through once. It's very short, only six verses. Then we'll kind of break it down a little bit. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my own thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? 
Look on me and answer, O Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So we do not know the context of this particular psalm. We actually have no idea why David wrote it. But can I tell you that's actually beneficial for us? See, if we knew right here that David was being chased by someone or frightened by someone or something pragmatic going on, we could very easily say, well, you know, I'm not being chased by that group or I'm not don't have that threatening my life. I'm not in that situation. And we could just throw it away and dismiss this psalm. I think it's incredibly beneficial that we don't. You know what we are introduced to? David is in big time depression here, deep depression, and also for an extended amount of time. And I think we can all kind of fall under that umbrella from time to time. I also think that David here, as you watch this, he's kind of learning what it's like to come to terms with God over this deep, depressive episode in his life. Uh, you notice this reoccurring phrase, how long, how long, how long, Lord? Now, I can really relate to this in, in this way, and I'm sure some of you can too. I've been through some tough stuff physically, physical training, or just bad times in my life. I think we can get through almost anything when we know where the end is. If we know how long it's gonna last, man, I can stand on my head for a month because I know at the end of that, it goes away. The tough thing is when you do not know when the particular trial or this feeling, this depression is gonna end. It's totally true. They say that time flies when you're having fun. Let me tell you, time goes in slow motion when you're going through a difficult time. It just does. It slows down. And the fact that, that David can't see an end to this depression, here's why we hear these reoccurring phrases. Will you forget me forever? How long? Why are you hiding your face from me? He has no clue when this is going to end. I think for all of us to be isolated from human interaction that's difficult, but you know what it's like when you feel, okay, I can feel the Lord, I'm having good time of prayer. These people are rejecting me or things aren't going my way, but I feel the presence of the Lord. It's tough, but you can get through it, right? We've all done that. You can get through it, right? Here's the bummer though, to feel isolated from God, to feel separated from God. In fact, is that not one of the descriptions of hell? To be separated from the presence of God. That's a bad thing. I'm telling you, that is a bad thing. So I want to start off with this. It's extremely, let me underline, extremely beneficial to know what God says about his position in relationship to us. And he does this very clearly through his prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 49, I'm going to read Isaiah 49, 14 through 16, God's people, and, and they're talked about as Zion here, God's people feel abandoned by God. They're going through it. In fact, here's what they say. 
But Zion, that's God people, that's God's people. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are ever before me. What a comforting visual that is. Let me say this, a, a, a few people that we had over Thanksgiving, my lovely daughter and daughter-in-laws, they both have little babies that they're nursing. It is impossible, at least I think it's impossible. I really can't picture my daughter forgetting she has that baby there. But God says, even if that were possible, I will not forget you. And that's God's word. That's God's truth right there. And, you know, I, I really believe that it's real possible, and here's what I think David's doing, to rely on our emotions and external circumstances to define truth instead of God's word. Let me tell you guys, we're in a bad place when we do that, but it's easy to do. Emotions and feelings, let me say this, I'm not anti-emotion, they're a good thing. In fact, they're a gift from God, no doubt. Our emotions are a gift from God. Uh, I, I really think that, you know, and I, I can slip into this at times. I think some people just ignore their emotions. No, no, and that's really unhealthy. I really think it is. I think God has given us these feelings and expressions. They're actually an image of God. What we feel is an image of God. We feel love, sorrow, anger, happiness, but isn't that how we relate to each other and to God? I think it absolutely is. The problem, here's the problem, is when we are ruled by our feelings, it can create a false sense of reality. Our feelings, although yes, they were created and given to us by God, can I tell you this? They are a subject of the fall and sin. They're not perfect. They were given by God, but they were affected by sin. We cannot rely on them. So again, it's okay to feel these things and they're real, but here's what we need to take them before God's word to determine what is real and what isn't real. And this is what we see David doing. He's sorting his feelings out here in Psalm 13. It's a good model for us. I think the fact that it says that God, God's truth is he has us engraved on his hands we are always before his loving eyes. I know it's hard to see, but that is the truth. If you walk away with nothing else today, walk away with this. God's care for his children is like the sun. It's constant. Even though from time to time, it might be obscured by clouds, it doesn't mean it isn't there. It doesn't mean it isn't there. It's always there. We just need to go above the clouds. And there's a way to do that, and we will do that. Let me read Psalm 13 too, this verse here. I think it's instructive. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? So David's gone to a real bad place where he's wrestling with his own thoughts. You know what he's doing? He's playing these tapes over and over and over in his head. He's prolonging his painful experience. I mean, big time by doing this. 
It says every day he has sorrow. You know why? Because he's going inside instead of outside for the answer. He's going within himself. He's taking counsel from his own thoughts instead of counsel from God. If I can put it like this, he's chewing, chewing on his problems. I really believe that trouble sometimes, it's like a pill. God wants us to swallow it and get over it. We make it worse by chewing it, let it sit in our mouth. A bad place to be, a bad place to be. David mentions his enemies triumphing over him, doesn't he? Well, David, his focus is on somewhere other than God, isn't it? Here's the truth. And if David could have very easily seen this, and to some degree, I think he did. David was God's man and he knew it. He knew it. He was God's man. So therefore, David's enemies were God's enemies. And guess what? God will take care of his own enemies. That's the truth. It wasn't up to David. David's eyes were on his enemy instead of the the providence and the kindness of God. I know that sounds simple, but it might be simple to explain. But sometimes it's difficult to shift our focus like that. And isn't it always true, and some of you heard me say this, you see what you look at. What are you looking at today? You see what you look at. What are you looking at? I think when we get in this sort of depressive episode or these low, pay, uh, these low places, um, we can easily, easily imagine things that aren't there. And again, personal experience, I've done this. We imagine things that aren't really there. Now, some of us, and I'll, I'll grant this to all of us, we're all different. Our temperaments are different. Sometimes for some of us, it's easier to fall into these depressive episodes. We, we have different... God's made us different, right? Some of us, it's easier to get there. Let me say this, just from a a, a pragmatic point of view, there are things to be aware of that can expedite us getting into these bad places. And I think we should be aware of them. Um, Illness, you know, you get sick and you're coming out of illness, beware, because you can slip into a depressive place. Uh, Getting too tired, too many things going on at work or family or physically being exhausted can put you in a place. And it's, it's one thing, you know, when you're there and you're getting through it and you will get through it, but know this. And again, take this, uh, I'm telling you this from personal experience. There's things that we probably shouldn't do when we're in one of these places We should not make major decisions. We shouldn't write that important letter we've been putting off for a long time. You'll be tempted to do these things because you get down. You just want this release. I'll tell you what else we shouldn't do. Don't make spiritual judgments about yourself or about others. When you're in this low place, just stop. Go to God. Don't get busy doing all these things. Uh, It's real, you know, it's the first thing we want to do. I know that I've and I'll just get in one of these spots and I'll go, man, you're always like that, Jeff. When are you going to grow up? When are you going to get out of that? Satan will just eat you and beat you with that, man. Don't make spiritual decisions or assessments when you're in one of these places. Why? Because the truth is it's a spiritual battle, not so much a physical one. It is a spiritual battle. 
The enemy of our souls is constantly watching and waiting for us to get in these places. He's strong, he's smart. Christ is smarter and stronger, but what I'm telling you, the enemy waits for a time for us to get down and he bangs us around. But here's what blows me away. I have, I've got hit hard sometimes after a spiritual victory or someone encourages me, maybe a significant encouragement. All of a sudden I find like, wow, I'm in a weird place. I, I found a little bit of solace. I went to First Kings and looked at Elijah. It's a great representation of that. You remember, you know the story in 1 Kings 18. Elijah is up against about 400 of these satanic prophets of Baal, right? And God is with Elijah and God shows himself to be strong through Elijah. I mean, uh, wipes out, the, the, the sacrifice gets burnt up to the place where just some big hole in the ground. God shows himself I'm on your side, Elijah. I will take care of you. It's a huge, huge victory. I mean, one of the greatest victories personally of one, one man in the Bible. But here's what I find interesting. Right after this happens, this great victory, what does Elijah do? Well, he immediately goes on this very successful preaching campaign and thousands come to know God, right? No. That's not what happens. That's not at all what happens. The next chapter, we find him hiding under this broom tree. Man, he's paralyzed. He's paralyzed. God says, God says what are you doing there? And basically, in so many words, Elijah turns to God and says, well, I'm the only prophet that really knows or really even cares, and I'm by myself, so, so what's the use? You know the rest of the story. It turns out good for Elijah. But the reason I draw your attention here is one of the greatest victories in the Bible is followed by one of the most depressive episodes for a prophet in depression. It happens. The Bible is so real. It's, it's like our story. This happens. This happens. You know, so I, I just want you to, and I don't care where you are in the Bible, you can take it and you can use it as an overlay and apply it to yourself. It's very, very instructive like that. Let's look at verse three. Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. So David says, look on me and answer. He's not asking for two different things or two different answers. This is a, a Hebrew method of repetition to emphasize the seriousness of his cry. It's this double meaning in Hebrew. The situation that David was in, I mean, it's beat him down big time. This has beat him down. Here's what David did know. He knew not to keep quiet. He knew enough that he just couldn't get through it being quiet and getting through it. Remember in Psalm 32, David says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He'd been there. He knew that didn't work. So this is, this is something that he's doing the right thing. He's just crying out to God. And let me say this. Desperate prayer has power, not necessarily because it persuades a reluctant God to do what you want him to, but what it does, it shows a contrite and broken heart. Why God loves a contrite and broken heart, I don't know, but he does. 
And I tell you, he responds. And David's heart is broken. I know for me and maybe some of you, I think too many times we approach God in prayer, sort of this half-hearted religious repetition. Oh, we just got to pray. It's noise. At least to me, I can be very noisy in prayer. But I tell you, you go to God with a broken and contrite heart, it's a little different. God hears. And he is that mother with the baby at his breast. It's powerful. So David says here, give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. I think it's a very short step from this heaviness of heart to depression to total despondency to death. I'll tell you what, guys, I think that more people die of a broken heart than we know. I think the doctors call it something different. Can I tell you, it is possible to die of a broken heart. I don't know how that works medically, but I believe you can. Now, David had the wisdom to know that although he was feeling these incredibly powerful feelings, they weren't reality. So what did he ask for? He said, you know, my vision's been clouded. Give light to my eyes, Lord. I know these feelings are real as anything, but I know they're not real. I know your word. Give light to my eyes. I'll tell you who else knew about this in the New Testament. I think the apostle Paul knew a little something about going through it and being in depression. In 2 Corinthians, or excuse me, yeah, 2 Corinthians 1.8. You don't have to go there. Here's what, he, here's what he says. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even unto life. That sounds like depression to me. And I think too many times as Christians, we think depression is this bad thing. Oh, we don't mention that. We're happy, snappy, apt, and able. We're Christians. It's always cool. Guess what? It isn't. It isn't. It's tough. We're in a battle. Not until we get home will we give this battle up. And Paul knew it. David knew it. These are godly men that went through it. But here's, here's the deal. New Testament, Paul also knew the way to get out. And I think it has something to do with the enlightenment of his eyes. Ephesians 1.18 says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul knew, man, didn't he? He knew how to get out of it. So again, it's our eyes. We see what we look at. If you're in a place of bitterness and that's all you can see, ask God to give you new eyes. Ask him to, he'll do it. Verse four says this, my enemies will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Again, we see David slipping back into focusing on his enemies. If, the big if, if my enemies will do this, if this happens, then if. It's dangerous, dear friends, to fall into the what ifs when you're in that place. That's a dangerous game to play. And man, I'm guilty of doing this and I think it's a form of insanity. I will imagine conversations with people I'm having a bad time with. Well, if they, next time they, they might say this and then I'm gonna say this, then they'll say that. That is craziness, man. But that's what depression will do. And I've done it, I've done it. This is the way out. Enlighten your eyes. God, give me new eyes. Take me out of myself. Give me new eyes. Let's go to five and six and we'll be done here in a second. 
Look at this, five. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. Oh my. So what is this bridge from verse four to five? I mean, all of a sudden, it's all different. Let me tell you what it is. And you gotta look carefully. It is prayer. It's what, it's what he's been doing this whole time. This is the result of prayer. Now, what it doesn't say is the time period in between verse four and five, but David was hard after it, asking the Lord, enlighten my eyes. He was praying. What is the result? Oh my gosh, he is rising up. He recognizes God's unfailing love. He's singing. That is the beauty of this psalm. If you notice, and here's what I love, in verse four, in five and six, there is no indication that his external circumstance has changed. There's not one indication. You know, the stuff is still hitting the fan, but he's changed, right? David has trusted in God's unfailing love. David knows that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. He knew it. Though David's external had not changed, his internal had changed. When it says in the Bible, I, I don't like this translation for, well, in this one word, but I trust in your unfailing love. It should say trusted. It's actually past tense in the Hebrew. Here's when David trusts, he says, okay, I trusted in you. I will trust in you, God. That is volitional and not emotional. That is volitional. He voluntarily, it doesn't just happen. It's not emotional. He is proactive. He's doing something. Here's the deal. We need to bring our emotions underneath the jurisdiction of God's character and God's purpose. Our emotions belong underneath that, not on top of it. The feelings of David's heart are real. These emotions are real. But now what you see in five and six, he's applying his mind to the situation. You know what's happening here? He's being transformed by the renewing of his mind as Romans two would have us do. Don't let the world put you in its package, squash you into its pattern, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. David is trusted and now he rejoices because he recognized God's salvation. Basically, David still looks around and sees this shattered experience in that by all means, you know, things might collapse. This is on the edge. But then he reminds himself, doesn't he? God gives me beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's God's promise. Let me tell you, Christian, that is solid ground for us to stand on. Nothing can touch it. That is solid ground. David remembers he can trust God with anything and he clears this fog from his eyes. Now David is directing his feelings instead of his feelings directing him. New deal. He decides to sing, which not only expresses joy, but can I say this? Singing increases joy. It's hard to stay upset when you're singing to the Lord. We need to open our mouths and let that emotion come out. That's why it, worship is so wonderful. I'll tell you, sometimes I'll up in the morning, worship will start, I don't feel like singing, man. It's like I'm kind of sitting there. It's volitional. I open my mouth and something changes. You are praising God and something changes. 
above my pay grade to describe how that works, but trust me, it does. And lastly, almost lastly, I got to admit, or we have to admit, I think there's this, I don't know, this uh, perverse sense of satisfaction and feeling sorry for ourselves. Like we kind of like something about that. And we see a good bit of it in Psalms. As much as we don't like to admit it, it's all through Psalms. The Bible is so good about showing human nature. It happens a lot. You know, where David goes and plays those old tapes in his head and goes over stuff. We need to resist that temptation, dear brothers and sisters. Resist it at all costs. Resist it. We are promised. We are promised salvation. We are promised a new heaven and a new earth. And can I say this? When we're there, the storms of this life will finally be stilled, but we're not there yet. But God will show you a little piece of that. He's promised that. He's a man of his word. God said he'll never forget us. He is like that nursing mother. What a, what, it's such a real picture to me, seeing my girls with their babies. There, there's that love that's it's indescribable. But I'll tell you this, when he doesn't give us something that we're praying for, can I tell you why? It's because he knows it's better for us not to have it right then. He's a good parent. When he entrusts something to us, it's hard to accept. He's able to look down upon us and give us the privilege of bearing that testimony, that circumstance under the reality of his grace. It is a privilege. And where God guides, he provides. He will get you through that. So in hindsight, what a transition in this psalm. I mean, you know, we start off, David's overwhelmed. He thought God is hiding from him. He thought God has forgotten him. But now he's singing for God's great provision. And his eyes have been enlightened. And I think that's the key. It's his eyes have been renewed and enlightened. David could now see God clearly, his goodness, his whole perspective had changed. But before, dear friends, before we can have our eyes enlightened, we must admit that maybe we're not seeing everything so clearly. And we got to do that. God's a gentleman. He won't twist your arm to do that. We must admit we're not seeing so clearly. That our feelings don't always give us accurate information. They just don't. But if you're willing, if you're willing to come to God, with a contrite heart in steadfast prayer, he will change our perspective. And let me close with this, and I do this a lot, a quote from my favorite theologian, A.W. Tozer. I want you guys to take this with you today. This quote is for you to go home with. With the goodness of God to desire our highest welfare, the wisdom of God to plan it, and the power of God to achieve it, what do we lack? Surely we're the most favored of all creatures. Yes and amen. So Lord, I pray you just engrave that on our heart. Lord, we are the most favored of your creatures. Hold us close and Lord, clear our eyes when they become foggy or, or filled with the wrong thing. And we'll trust you for this in Jesus' name. What I'd like to do, if we could, if the prayer team could come up for this reason, some of us are carrying some stuff. Let's make that first step 
and maybe give a little bit to the Lord. You know, I'll promise you this, your backpack will be less full. We might not empty it out, but we can take a few rocks out. So I'd love you guys to come up and pray with us and watch what the Lord does, please. Trust him in this. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.